Um, it is a joy to see when kids learn, you know, bits and pieces of things like the liturgy and, um, you know, there. I think a generation of people lost the value of repetition. Um, but, you know, we do repetition for everything else. When you memorize your memory work, you just repeat it. I can remember my mom saying, repeat your memory work ten times, and she'd count as I did it. And after ten times, you know it. <laughs> um, so there's some value in repetition, but I think a generation kind of lost that, and, and now it's sort of coming alive again. So you repeat the liturgy, and there's joy in repeating it, and kids then grow up to know it. And, and the great evidence of this is meet someone who has Alzheimer's sort of on their deathbed, and uh, you walk in and say, you know, I'd like to pray with you, and you start to pray the liturgy, and more often than not, they actually know it. Because it sticks with you. It becomes a part of who you are. And you don't have that if, you know, I was sort of rewriting things every weekend. You just wouldn't have that repetition, that discipline, and sort of the joy of getting to know stuff. But Psalm 23 is one of those. It's probably, I would guess, you know, the most well-known psalm in all of the Psalter. Um, Hey, you're fine. It's probably the most well-known psalm in all of the Psalter. And, And you notice this even at funerals. This is the psalm everybody requests. I mean, it, without a doubt. Now, there are some, there are some people who choose something else, but more often than not, people say, "I want Psalm 23." Okay, so this is kind of it. I don't know what's going on over there. You think your two kids are fighting right now? Might be going at it. That's all right. Don't worry about it. They're fine. All right. So look at Psalm 23. I'll read it again. You know, we've been doing this on and off because it it is just more beautiful. I'll read it here out of the New English Bible. But follow along or close up your Bible and just listen. This is one you've heard many times. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the waters of peace. He renews life within me. And for his name's sake, guides me in the right path. Even though I walk through a valley dark as death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy crook are my comfort. Thou spreadst the table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou hast richly bathed my head with oil and my cup runs over. Goodness and love unfailing, these will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Okay? That's, uh, and actually, as I'm reading this, I realize I just inserted bits and pieces of the King James without even kind of knowing it. <laughs> it doesn't actually say mine enemies. Um, uh, my, cup, you know, my cup runneth over. It doesn't say that either, but that's, that's the way the Psalms work. They become a part of you. What comes to mind when you hear the psalm? What comes to mind when you hear it? Or maybe maybe a better question is, what's your reaction to the psalm? You know, even emotionally, kind of what's your reaction when you hear it? Because I know what I think and what I feel. Calming, okay, that's good. What else? How? Sorry. Uh, how many of you read this psalm often? Raise your hands. Nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, good. To what tune? To the song? Very nice. It is in the hymn book. Yeah, that's right. And there's another great hymn in the hymn book which is sort of based on this. It's not sort of a literal, that's more literal to the text. But you know what that hymn is? The King of Love, My Shepherd Is. Great hymn. And you know why it's so good? Because it's utterly Eucharistic. You know, at the very end, uh, thine unction grace bestoweth, and it talks about uh, life divine from thy pure chalice floweth, right? So you sing it. That's good. Uh, What else comes to mind? Peace, comfort, calm, what else? 
Safety, good. What else? Anything? How many of you think about your own death when you hear the psalm? Yeah, I do too. All the time. Whenever I read it, because I usually read it. In fact, uh, the vicar was with us. Uh, just yesterday we went out. Um, I'll turn off for this part. We went out. Um, but Psalm 23 is the psalm of the Christian life par excellence. Now, why is that? Why is it that every family teaches their kids this psalm? Why is it that every kid who goes through confirmation wants Psalm 23 as their verse? Why is it that every funeral wants Psalm 23? Why is it that as we commended him to death, he begins to sob during Psalm 23? Why is that? It's not just because people know it. I think that's part of it. It's like, it's like you with Psalm 121. It's your family psalm. But it's not just because the family. Why is it? Yeah. Yes. Good. Okay, perfect. You have everything you need. Now keep read, keep thinking through the psalm. What do you have from Christ that gives you everything you need? It's right there in the psalm. You're exactly right. This one begins, actually, I, I misread this when I read it. But this one begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall want nothing. We're sort of the same thing. I have everything I want or everything I need. Why is it? What's in the psalm? Yeah, Karen. Yes. Yes. You want me to talk to that? You want me to talk about that? Yeah, I don't know if I can. Uh, her question was, what about people who have never been baptized? We'll get, let's get to that. Let's keep reading the psalm, and we'll talk about that in just a minute, okay? You're exactly right. What Karen recognized in the psalm is, the psalm gives you everything you want, Beth, because it has all the sacraments of the church involved. So keep, just listen here. He leads me beside the waters of peace. Okay? Now think about what water does. Think about what water does. Water can kill and water can give life. Um, have you ever seen Deadliest Catch? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, that water, that water does not give life. That water kills. If you're out on the Bering Sea, that water will kill. Now, if you're in Mexico, if Jan's out on the beach while she's there, <laughs> sipping a margarita, thinking about eyeglasses, all that kind of stuff, you know? That water might give life. <laughs> Maybe not. But water can kill and water can give life. Now think about the way that this is think about the way that this is phrased. He leads me beside the waters of peace. Or as your Bibles probably say, He leads me beside the still waters. Quiet waters. Now just think about that. Where it's not often that you think of water as being quiet or still. Right? If it does, there are probably mosquitoes in it and you don't want to go near it. Right? But he leads me beside the waters of peace. Where is, the, where is the place where the waters are peaceful? Yeah, at the font. I mean, next time, just walk up. You know, there's a great story of the, uh, of the Missouri Synod pastor who told his elders, fill up the font because we have a baptism. It's always bad when you have to tell your elders to fill up the font because what that means is it hasn't been filled. <laughs> so it's like saying, move out the font. We're going to have a baptism. If you got it in a closet, that may not be the best place for it. But he says, fill up the font with water for the baptism. Uh, and he gets to the font with the child. He stops the service. Have you heard this before? Have I told you this? Stops the service and sort of yells at his elders in the middle of the service and said, who didn't fill up the water like I asked? 
<laughs> this is great. One elder just walks up to the font, touches it, and it ripples. The waters were so still, he didn't know that there was water in it. Okay? Now, that may seem odd to you, and probably the pastor was out of line. If it was me, I would have at least touched the water, see if it was there before I began to get angry. Uh, but yeah, yell it. We're at deaconess. Fill this thing up. So he touches it, but the waters are so still. Well, in a sense, that is a picture of baptism. That water both kills and gives life. Remember, it drowns the old Adam. He's a darn good swimmer, but it drowns the old Adam, and it raises up the Christ who's in you to new life. However, it's very peaceful waters. I mean, it's very peaceful waters. That's, that's, I say to people who are about to get married, you get married in the church because that's your space, right? The font. The, the, the altar and the pulpit, that's your space. Can you get married someplace else? Yeah, you can, but that's your space. So you should feel like the waters of peace, that's your space. Go ahead. Yep. Yep. Yeah, good. So it's written in the Old Testament. They have no at least... Um, I don't know if they don't have a reference to baptism. But you're right. That's not that's not their practice at that time. The way that they the way that they incorporate children into the kingdom is by circumcision. So, um, I I think in in a part it's a reference to Eden. How many rivers were there in Eden, Vic? Four, three rivers in Eden. And you've got to imagine that in Eden the rivers there are utterly calm, especially before the fall. You know, it's what you'd want in a river. So I think the psalmist is referencing back to Eden, and uh, and and also I mean to places where he's seen good water, too. But back to Eden, and I think forward to the Jesus who brings living water. So he's giving us a picture forward, and he's referencing something in the, in the past. But he leads me beside the still waters. Donna, what do you have? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. It's funny how kids can sort of recognize that. She might not be able to say it's baptism, but she can say water makes me alive. Yeah. There, I think it's in Psalm 108 captivity. Yeah. And they talk about the water, and it is the food, too. Mm-hmm. It's the bride and mourn for it. Yeah. But I don't know exactly how that went, but I wondered if that's uh, Yeah. Here's, here, yes, your point is a good one. Here's what you need to begin to recognize. All water is baptismal. In the scriptures, all water is baptismal. Every meal is Eucharistic. So what I'm not saying is every time someone crosses water, they're baptized. But every time you see water in the scriptures, you should think baptism. And every time you see a meal, you should think Eucharist. And every time you see oil, you should think chrismation, to be chrismated, right? To be chrismed. Um, so, yeah, there are stories like that. Um, and even in Psalm 1, be like a tree, a tree planted by streams of living water. Um, I think it might be in Isaiah, the story you're talking about where they sort of mourn for the stillness of that place and that particular particular water. But they're all over the scriptures. I mean, there's stories like that all over, where people cross water and have new life. So do you think John was doing something totally new? He might not have been. They might have, they might have some reference to it. Oh, yeah, they know those stories. Yeah, John, yeah. The gospel writers and the entire New Testament are not making this stuff up. And it's not like, here's the other thing, inspiration, the way that they get the words to say, isn't like he just comes up and speaks in their ear. Write down, Jesus said, 
I am the living water. That's not how it happens. How it happens is they've been taught the scriptures as young boys. They've been in contact with Jesus who explains the scriptures. It all makes sense, and they put it down on paper. What they wrote in the Gospels was just a commentary on their life with Jesus. Um, But it's of such high regard that we put it in a silver book and and bow to it because that is the words and deeds of Christ. Uh, But, yeah, they certainly have that in their mind. They've heard the stories. All of them have. Because even, even, um, even the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which many of the New Testament writers would have been familiar with because they're writing in Greek, was written, some say, even as early as about 300 B.C. So they, they sort of have those texts in front of them. They've, they're reading these psalms in Greek and saying, whoa, water, oil, meal. Maybe that's a reference to baptism, chrismation, and Eucharist. I think, I think they're trying to put it all together. But as you heard this morning when we talked about the Good Shepherd, they don't fully get it. <laughs> they never fully get it. Even after his death, they don't fully get it. The road to Emmaus is the classic example. Lord, or they, they didn't know who he was. We thought he was going to redeem all Israel. And it wasn't until he broke bread, had a Eucharist, that they finally realized who he is. What else? You all okay? All right. So obviously, this psalm, I would, I would at least propose to you, this psalm is connected to Jesus as the Good Shepherd. I mean, you don't, you don't read the Good Shepherd psalm and not instantly think about the Good Shepherd Jesus. That's part of the reason why we read John 10 this morning. What do you know about the Good Shepherd from the New Testament, from the Gospels? What do you know about the Good Shepherd? You heard part of it this morning. He has a voice that people recognize. What else? He's a gate. Yeah, remember? How did that work? Do you remember? Him being the gate? It's more than just saying he's the gate. Do you remember what happened? The shepherd in, in the ancient world, they'd actually have a pen, and there wouldn't be a gate on the end. They put all the sheep in the pen, and the shepherd would lay down and himself be the gate. So in order to get to the sheep, you actually had to go through the shepherd. So if wolves came, who gets eaten first? The shepherd. So when Jesus says, I am the gate, what he means is you can't get to my sheep unless you go through me. Okay, So it's not just like, oh, he's a wrought iron gate, isn't this great? No, it means you've got to kill him to get to us. And I said that to Dennis once, speaking of Dennis. Uh, I said, now that you've had the Eucharist, if the father's going to destroy you, he first has to destroy his son. And he's never going to do that. The father will never destroy his son. Okay? So he's never going to destroy you. He's already, he's already been destroyed as the gate. He won't be destroyed again. What else comes to mind, though, when you think of the good shepherd? Gate? Voice? What else? Yeah, tell me more. Keep going. Goes to look for the lost sheep. Yeah. And on his shoulders gently laid and home rejoicing brought them. That's how the hymn goes, right? Yeah, that's that's a wonderful image. He leaves the 99 behind in order to go out and find the one. So the hope for you is he doesn't ever give up on people. Um, someone said the other day, I think I think my kids are too far gone. And I said, are they baptized? Yeah. Have they had the Eucharist? Yeah. I said, they're not too far gone. The Lord never gives up on people, right? He goes out and finds the one. What else do you know? Discipline? How so? I don't, I've never heard that story before. I don't know. He breaks the sheep's legs? Oh, yeah. 
Yep. Yeah. Right. That yeah, I was going to say that sheds new light on church discipline. You don't come to church. Come up here. I'm going to break your legs. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's in the scriptures. Although it might. Uh, yes, it can be hard. But he does. He does certainly. He trains his sheep. I mean, he trains his sheep in such a way that they don't run away again. So if you go away once, you hope they don't go again. Let me go here, 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 and here. Okay, keep going, Donna. Mercy, good. Yeah, what does mercy mean? Oh, boy. Okay. Now we're putting you on the spot. Justice is wrongs to right, right? But mercy is sort of undeserved. Yeah, exactly. So the one lost sheep probably deserves to be eaten by the wolves. That would be justice. But mercy is the shepherd goes out, leaves 99 behind, and finds the one. Okay? Rachel? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. So there is, and that, yeah. So he's got sort of a justice arm and a merciful arm, right? So the rod and staff, the rod's kind of to keep you in line, uh, and his, and his, as it says here, you know, his, uh, his crook. Yeah. It says, thy. But this is interesting. Thy staff and thy crook are my comfort. So if you see a bishop, today's St. James, Bishop of Jerusalem Day. If you see a bishop, a real bishop will have what? A crozier. Yeah, and you all say, that's Roman Catholic. And we say, no, that's Psalm 23. Right. A real bishop has a crozier because he goes out because he, he is the shepherd of the sheep. Or as the church has always said, you know, he, he is he's the under-shepherd of Christ. And a bishop is unique because pastors are also shepherds, but a bishop is sort of, shepherd of the shepherds he shepherds those who shepherd others right so he has a crozier he has a crook yeah really yeah right Yeah. Yeah, to be a shepherd is sort of its own deal. I mean, that is an odd thing. If you ever, if you, and you see it around here, but like when I was in Scotland and you're sort of out in the country, that's, uh, that's all there are, shepherds and sheep and dogs. Um, but they live a, a strange life. Not a bad life, it's just very different from us. And I, would, could, I could imagine that life gets boring almost. You have to sort of keep track of the days and what's happened. Yeah, yeah, lots of batteries. You could use that. <laughs> Mini TV or something, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think, um, yeah, I, most of them are written when he's, when he's a king already. But I think to have been a shepherd, just listen, so keep that in mind. David's, David is a shepherd, but he writes, the Lord is my shepherd. So David, who, I mean, AOR's Saturday seminar was brilliant. You know, do you fear God or do you fear other things? David, for a, for a major chunk of his life, 
feared other things. I think David showed a video about that, right? Yeah, where Nathan comes to David. So David fears other things, but you see here, the Lord is my shepherd. It could say, I fear nothing. So he comes to a point in his life where he realizes sort of the essence of a shepherd, and he's not it. <laughs> yeah. And, and this is, if you can think of Jesus, Jesus is often called in the prayers of the church, shepherd and bishop of our souls. And in a, in a real sense, David is sort of an under-shepherd of Christ. He is still a shepherd. He's supposed to bring people to the Messiah, but he's not the shepherd. The shepherd is Jesus. Karen, did you have something? We're still not to your question yet. I'm sorry. Yeah? Yep. Yeah, yep, right, right, yep. I know, I've met him before. Yeah. He's a very good person. Yeah. 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 A lot there. Let's take the first one, okay? Let's take the first question, which is for dad is how old? 68? 78. Okay. Uh, he's 78 and not been baptized. So the question is I think this is your question. How do you. Find comfort in, in a psalm like Psalm 23 with someone who's not been baptized, right? Yeah. Um, well, the first thing is uh, there are a lot of people who haven't been baptized. Lots and lots and lots of people. Um, and I don't think this is talking sort of out of turn or out of bounds at all, but the Lord casts a very big net with people, right? So he's not so, he's not so narrow-minded that he says, it's my way or the highway. Sometimes we get that mentality. We say, if you don't, you know, you read the text where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to me unless the Father draws him. But I don't think uh, he's so narrow-minded that he doesn't sort of take compassion and be merciful to people like that. Because my guess is, when you interact with your dad, do you tell him about coming to church? No? no? I know, I know. I know he wouldn't, yeah. But, you know, here's the thing. When I met your dad, I said you were coming to church. And he actually thought that was okay. Yes, that's right. And, and partly what he's seen in you is someone who's been enlivened by coming to church. I mean, look at all the people you've met now since you've been coming, right? So there's a lot of joy in your life, even though we don't have antivirus software yet for your computer, but we are going to find that. That would make your life a whole lot more joyful, but we don't have that yet. But there's great joy because of the people you've met. Here's the thing. He's seen that. And he's been engaged, I'm sure, throughout his life with people telling him about Jesus, with people who say he really loves you. So you've got to take comfort in the fact that the Lord has a big net. Okay, He loves everybody. He dies for everybody. And he uses other people to tell them about him. So he uses people like you to say to your dad, I love going to church. Or people like Martha, when she comes to pick you up, and your dad's there, she says, you know, Karen's really a nice person. You know why? Because Jesus loves her. And guess what? Jesus loves me too. So he uses all sorts of ways. Now, obviously, we'd like to get your dad to baptism someday, just like we'd like to get all the people in the room who have relatives who haven't been baptized yet to baptism someday. But, you know, can the Lord save a person outside of baptism? Yeah, he can. 
Okay, he can. That's not the way he usually works. That's not the best way. But can he do it? Yeah, he certainly can do it. So he casts a big net. He's very merciful. He wants to get people to baptism. But if something happens and your dad were to die before baptism, we trust in all the things I just said. Big net, merciful. He loves everybody and he died for them. Okay? But along the way, you don't give up on your dad. We just said here, you know, 99, the 99 sheep. He leaves the 99 to go find the one. You got to keep working to go out and find the one. Okay? And we can talk sometime outside of this about how you should do that. Okay? All right. Anything else? You all okay? All right, just listen one more time. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall want nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the waters of peace. He renews life within me. And for his name's sake, guides me in the right path. Even though I walk through the valley, even though I walk through a valley as death, as dark as death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy crook are my comfort. Now, the most interesting thing that no one said when I, I asked you sort of what do you, what do you see when you think of Jesus as the good shepherd, no one said he feeds his sheep. This is interesting. In John's gospel, he's the gate, he's the voice, he's all sorts of things. In Mark's gospel, Jesus as the good shepherd is the one who feeds the 5,000. Okay, open up to Mark chapter 6. I want you to see this. Because so often you think of Jesus in terms of you know, how, he, how he speaks to you, how he loves you, how he keeps you away from harm. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is the one who is a shepherd who takes five loaves and two fishes, breaks them, blesses them, gives them, and feeds 5,000 people. Okay, look at Mark chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all they had done and taught. This is great because they're seminary students, right? It's like going to your, your professor. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. So give your pastors a vacation every once in a while, right? You just can't go that long. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Twelve guys in a boat. There was a, this is great. We were out at the pastor's conference in the Atlantic District, and they have this pontoon boat. And the Atlantic District, they must, well, I, well. Uh, they got about 20 pastors on a pontoon boat. Oh, this is the year before we were out there. I mean, this is classic Lutheranism, okay? They get 20 guys who, at the pastor's little social hour, probably had a little too much to drink, okay? I mean, that's just the way Lutherans are. So they get on the boat, and these 20 pastors, all somebody says, hey, come look on this side. All 20 go to this side. <laughs> May the queen of angels be praised. I was not there that year. So you walk to this side, and what happens? The pontoon boat flips, okay? So, now think about these apostles. They all get in the boat, and thank goodness... What's that? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they didn't... Needless to say, the year we went back, they didn't take the pontoon boats out. But all the apostles are... There are 12 men in a boat, okay? So you can imagine this. Peter's saying, look over the side, and then they see all these people running trying to beat them to the town. And when it grew late, verse 35, I'm sorry, verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them. That's splachna, that's inside compassion. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. shepherd, okay? Psalm 23. 
And he began to teach them many things. So already, Jesus is the shepherd. These are his sheep. Now, verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. That reminds you of evening prayer. You know, the day, the day is far spent. The evening is at hand. The road to Emmaus. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. Okay, so the disciples are like, Get them out of here. We've got to get some rest. But he answered them, this is Jesus, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found it, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. Now, remember Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Now, Jesus is telling this story in the desert. So he's telling a story in the desert, and he says, go make them sit down in the green pastures. That is upside down. Okay? Just like he says, lie down in green pastures in the valley of death. It's upside down. And he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found it, they said, five and two fish. Verse 39, then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. In, little, in, the, in the Greek here, it says, like flower beds, they sat down in small groups. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. There are 5,000 people here. Now listen to this. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, said a blessing, broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 basketful of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men, which means there are more than 5,000 there. There are children, there are women, there are family members. But listen to the action. What does Jesus do with the bread? Nope. Nope. Before that, takes. Yeah, looks up to heaven. He blesses. What does he do next? Breaks. Yeah. Blesses is like gives thanks. Same thing. Breaks and, yeah, breaks it and gives it. Okay? Now just think about the Lord's Supper. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said. So here in Mark chapter 6, you have Eucharistic, action. Now, I'm not saying this is a Eucharist. What I am saying is he does here what he's about to do with the Eucharist. Now, isn't it fascinating that he does this Eucharistic action? How does he begin? He says these people are like sheep without a shepherd. Okay? Now, read that into Psalm 23. What is one of the chief functions of the shepherd? To feed his sheep. And if Jesus is the shepherd, how does he feed his sheep? By taking, blessing, breaking, and giving. And you know that because you're post-Last Supper. You know that to be the Lord's Supper. Right? So, in Psalm 23, where it talks about feeding, that's a reference to the Eucharist. It has to be. This all makes sense? Everybody tracking? Any any? If you don't agree, you can tell me. Go ahead. 
No, probably not. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. 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 Yes. They don't know what's best for them. Right? So you need a shepherd in place who says this is best and this is not. Now, just refl- and I'm not even going to talk about it because I think you all know it. Reflect on how that plays itself out in the church. Okay? If all the sheep are saying this is what's best for us, it's like the Philip Keller book. They don't know what's best for them. doesn't mean the sheep are stupid. It means the sheep, in the grand scheme of things, don't quite know what's best for them. Okay? Bad judgment, right. They'll eat anything. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly right. Exactly right. And it's the shepherd's job. A shepherd is known primarily by leading the sheep. And what it says right here, uh, he leads me beside the waters of peace and for his name's sake guides me in the right path. Okay, if a shepherd isn't guiding the sheep, then the shepherd is a bad shepherd. If the sheep are going where they want, the sheep are bad sheep. Okay? Yeah, go ahead, Donna. Yeah. I didn't say dumb. I said bad judgment. I think all your friends at that table said dumb. Yes, right. <laughs> yes. Is, isn't that unbelievable? Yes. You remember Jesus does everything with a voice. So the sheep are, I wouldn't say they're smart enough to listen. They've been transformed and they suddenly are able to hear. Yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, the And this starts all the way back in Genesis 1 where he speaks things into existence. But all throughout the scriptures, in fact, it talks here about the voice. Psalm 29 is, the voice of the Lord is over the waters. The voice breaks the cedars. Yeah? Is that right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, uh, yeah, okay. Could be. So now you have here in Psalm 23... Three sort of sacramental actions. What's the first one? Leads me beside still waters, right? And that is a reference to baptism, okay? What else do you have? Yeah, okay, good. Uh, how does he restore your soul? By leading you through the still, by the still waters, right? Those aren't two separate actions. Yes. Maybe the confession is they're just sheep. (laughs) You know, I'm by nature, we should say on Sundays, I'm by nature a sheep. (laughs) Right? So they're sheep. They just do bad things. Right? He leads me beside the waters of peace, and this one says, and renews life within me. So good. For his namesake, he guides me in the right path. Why is it for his namesake? Because it's on him if he doesn't do it. Even though I walk through the valley as dark as death, and just think about your own life here. I mean, this is not hard to imagine. I fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
This is, this is Ted Cobra on, on Saturday morning. Fearing even evil, to a certain extent, is sinful. Why? Because the Lord says, I'm going to lead you out of that. Don't fear it. Thy staff and thy crook are my comfort. Thou spreadst a table for me in the sight of mine enemies. What is that a reference to? The Eucharist. It actually has two parts to it. A table. What's the other part? Yes. What does it say? And my cup runs over, or my cup brims over. Table, cup. You know, it says uh, we sing every Sunday in the offertory, what shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation. I wish it was sanctification. That would be kind of nice. Salvation. So it's not just I'll lift up the cup with some wine in it. This is the cup that gives shape to the blood of Christ. I will lift up the cup. I mean, here's the thing. There is salvation in the cup. I, was at a, I gave a paper at a pastor's conference in South Wisconsin on Monday about the catechumenate, and the pastor who communed us, thank goodness they had the Eucharist, very nice service. As he came down, I was stunned. He said, the body of God. I'm like, spot on, buddy. Way to go. That is exactly right. The body of God. Jesus is God himself. When you consume Jesus, you consume God. It's not just eating the flesh of a Nazarene. It's eating the flesh and blood of God himself. Same thing here. You lift up the cup of salvation. You're not just drinking blood, you're drinking salvation. Right? So, you spread a table in the sight of my enemies, which means there are going to be people there who don't like you, and that's okay. Why? Because it's about you and the shepherd and the gifts he gives. Thou hast richly bathed my head with oil. How many of your kids were baptized recently enough to have oil? Good. Strutzel, good. Cole, yeah. Some of you may have had kids at a time when that just wasn't the practice. It is in the new hymnal. In fact, it gives you the option. You put it on right at the blessing. Um, the Almighty God who has given you new birth by water into the Spirit, forgiven you all your sins, you put it on right at that point. But in the, in the early church, oil wasn't optional. Oil wasn't optional. And what would happen is, um, you know, in the early church, they did this with kids, so don't think this was just adults. There are, there's a great, uh, a great piece of artwork in, uh, come on now, the National Gallery of Scotland in Edinburgh, there's a great set of artwork, I wish I knew the name of the guy who did it, called the Seven Sacraments. Now, obviously, this guy's from before the Reformation. As one person said to me, history began in 1517. <laughs> Actually, it didn't. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, anyways. So this was from before the Reformation, so the Seven Sacraments, and one is of chrismation with oil, and it's not adults in the picture, it's kids. In the early church, at the Easter Vigil, the Easter Vigil was everything, what would happen is you'd bring all the catechumens in, because they had a catechumenate, right? Bring all the catechumens in. First thing you do is you would baptize them. They'd come up out of the water. You would oil them. You'd put oil on them. Chrism. Remember Jesus at his baptism? Who comes down from heaven? The Holy Spirit. And in the Greek, he's chrismed. He's chrismated. He's Christed. He's anointed. You put oil on them to Christ them, and in a sense the oil was to seal up the baptismal gift. And then what happens was they go through the divine service a couple hours long, and at the very end they would get the Eucharist. 
everyone, everyone who was baptized, everyone who got oil, got the Eucharist. Why? Because this is the fullness of the Christian life. Okay? And you know that, not by the early church, you know that from Psalm 23. This man will die if he doesn't have still waters, oil on his head, and a table to eat from. This is the fullness of the Christian life. And so the early church got that. So they baptized, oiled, and bodied, and blooded all in one night. And then for the rest of their life. This is the way the Eastern Church does it uh, to this day. So what you should see in this is the fullness of the Christian life and a renewed interest in using oil. Oil is everything. Remember what it says in James? If you're sick, call the elders. They'll come to you and anoint you with oil. Okay. Questions? Comments? You guys all track? Is this too much for once? You guys all okay? All right. Yeah. My mother was ill with cancer. Yeah. And some people in the church wanted to come and anoint her with oil. They came and visited her, and she wouldn't let them because, <laughs> you know, well, it wasn't the practice for one thing, but, you know, they weren't the elders of the church either. Yeah, yeah. But I just remember, she was like kind of appalled and <laughs> asking a lot of questions, which, of course, I didn't have any interest in reading that letter. Let me, let me just add, let me just... And you don't have to, you know, all raise your hand, but just if you want to respond, you can. I've been pleasantly surprised in visiting, like, let me, I'll, I'll just tell you, Grace, well, many folks are, are much like that. If they didn't kind of grow up with it as kids, when you give it to them the first time, they're a little like, so I do things even like, hey, s- smell this. It's called Rose of Sharon. That's what it smells like. This is to, so when we're gone, you can smell it. I've used it even in some almost exorcism settings where you can say to people, sleep well tonight so you can smell this. But what is your sort of reaction to that? If you were sick and we brought oil, what would your reaction be? Would that be something you'd be okay with, not okay with? And I don't mean like mad. I just mean uncomfortable because you haven't experienced it. Yeah. 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 Bring it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Pastor Nelson, just so you know, I mean, Pastor Nelson, I give him credit. He, he probably, out of our worship and spiritual care budget, spends the most on oil out of anybody. It's not that expensive. I mean, it's a couple bucks for a little vial. But I put it on my thumb, and he actually pours it on people's heads, which I've never actually been there when he's done it. I'd like to see their reaction because maybe I'd start doing it too. But he pours it right on their forehead. And that's what it says, on the beard of Aaron. Let oil drop down, run down his face like the beard of Aaron. I mean, that's right out of the scripture. So he does that. He actually pours it on people's heads and sort of, sort of lets them bask in it. Yeah, I know. You're always a little, I always try to, I, you know, what? here's what I don't want. Someone to say, don't bring the oil back. That's my nervousness always. Yeah, good question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, yep. I think you're right. Her comment was, do you think people, it wasn't a comment, it was a question, which was very nice. Do you think people associate oil with, I'm dying, you know it, and I don't? <laughs> yeah, you, yeah, maybe I should lead with, you're not dying, and if you are, I don't know. So let me get, no, I think you're right. And, but here's what I often do. When I go visit people, 
especially for the first time, I'll read the text from James. Call the elders, have them anoint you if you're sick. And then they kind of, and I'll even sort of talk to them about it. I mean, I, being so rigid in a rite is not being pastoral. So you kind of talk to them and say, I'm the elder? Because in the text, you know, it's the Greek word there is for pastor. not for. It's not like your 12 elders who you called while well, we love them. I mean, Alcalus is a great guy. The text is primarily speaking to pastors. So I often say, this is what pastors are called to do. It says call the church. We'll bring some oil. This reminds you of your baptism. Most people sort of relax a bit there. It, actually, it's fun to watch people's blood pressure. I mean, if you're, I don't know if you've ever seen this. To watch their blood pressure... Um, I've heard a variety of things in a hospital room. I've heard confession in a hospital room. I've had the Eucharist in a hospital room. But after those great events, even after oil, they're sort of their blood pressure goes from way high to normal. Because <laughs> there's just a sense of calm in the room. Keep going. What, what, how would you react if we came with oil? Would you be okay? I know some of you have experienced it. Yeah. Yes. I don't know, yeah. It's death. I, yeah, that's a good question. I don't know if they do it on regular visits. I wouldn't be surprised if they did. But they do do it at other parts of the Christian life, at baptism, at confirmation. Um, those are some oily parts of life. So they do experience it. But maybe you're right that the only other time that they experience it is at death. Could be. Yeah, Beth. Yeah. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I've not had anybody say no. And most people, like I said, are a little nervous. But when you come back the second time, most say, can I have it? Which is just that that's a great joy when people in 10 minutes sort of understand, not understand, but are willing to have it. Anything else? Yeah. The reason, the reason we'd give you oil is not because you were dying, uh, uh, not because we were like the repentant Mary, although we may be. The reason we'd give you oil is, and this is what I say to people, you got it at your baptism, or it would have been nice if you would have had it at your baptism. So when you smell this, you're reminded of your baptism. So instead of being reminded of death, you're reminded of life. Even if you just go to the hospital to have a baby. I mean, that'd be kind of nice to know, hey, I'm baptized, and no matter what happens, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. Um, I, I would be morally okay with it. I, I just, and it's the same thing at first, but I'm like, well, why wouldn't you be? <laughs> when I get both baptized, when you get oil on your head, it just smells so great. Yep. Because you don't bathe anymore for, yeah. you know, a couple of days, and, um, they, and it was on the cloth. Yep. Yep. 
Right. Well, you were at, I mean, you were godparents for Emma, so you were there at the chapel. And my father-in-law, you may remember, did the same thing. After the baptism, he poured oil on the cloth that he used. He had used it and dabbed it up, but for two years, you could smell the oil. And Emma began to learn that that was a baptismal smell. My hope is someday when she's ill or dying, whoever the pastor is brings oil and says, you're baptized. Hopefully it's not me, but somebody, you know. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. That's right. People actually say that. Let me go to Lindsay and then I'll go to you, okay? Go ahead. Yep. Yep. For this reason. Because uh, oil, uh, it's called the oil of chrism because it's anointing, and the Greek word for being anointed is to be Christed. So you called it your christening. Yeah. Uh, C. Uh, yeah, C-H-R-I-S-M, um, and then C-H-R-I-S-T-E-N-I-N-G is christening, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Christening is your baptism. Chrism is the oil. Yeah. It, yeah. Go ahead, Rachel. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. They are. We all are. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, right. Yeah. You can't put it all together. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. Mm-hmm. And and the yeah, and the point you make is a good one, which is, don't devalue the oil. Don't just say it doesn't matter. It's in the text, and it does matter. It is. I'm not saying it's sort of a sacrament. But it is very sacramental because it points you to what the Lord has always done. And it does, I mean, Leslie's not here, it does sort of seal you again in your baptismal grace. Yeah. We're tangible people, yeah. Part of what, and I, and I realize this, is, this could be sort of touchy because it's difficult for people, but part of what the church should do, especially among postmoderns, is have a renewed sense of the five senses. Incense. All those things, you know, if we could find a way to do it so people wouldn't react to it, those things, that's the way the Lord engages us because he creates us, he gives us flesh, he loves our flesh, and he says, here are your five senses, enjoy them. And that's a way in which the Lord sort of engages us. I think for years and years and years, we've kind of lost that. We eat, we hear, maybe we touch. But I'm even stunned by some of you who maybe grew up at a time where you didn't make the sign of the cross. Many of you now touch the water and make the sign of the cross. That's a step in the right direction. And oil is oil's another way to sort of rejoice in all those things. Yeah. All right, we're at, at the time.
Any last things? Any last words before you're dismissed? You know what I'm talking about. You heard that song? <laughs> I, that was, I don't know. That was like divine. I don't know where that came from. I won't say the rest of it. <laughs> oh, next psalm. I thought you were saying next song. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to say. Next psalm. Uh, Beth, which ones? Th- you suggested a couple, and I left them in my office. Okay. Good. Uh, yeah, I think, now he's, he's out today. I, my guess is he'll be up next week. So I don't know what the psalm will be. It may be one you've given him. Um, and if not, what, tell me the first one you just said, 138. Why don't you read 138? Because if for some reason he can't be here or, or can't make it to this part, we'll do 138. And it doesn't matter if we go on the fly. That's, that's fine too. So 138, read it. But it may be something else. He's not around this weekend. No, he's at his class reunion. Yep, perfect. All right, let's, uh, let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, thanks for coming.